0: Uh, we're, we're starting a series this morning that we're calling Decisions, Decisions. How many of you have ever made good decisions? How many of you have ever made bad decisions? How many of you know that sometimes good decisions look really good until they're not? And has anybody ever had a bad decision that looked really bad and then all of a sudden it wasn't that bad? In fact, you t- it, it, it became something like I was way turned out way better than what I'm still alive, you know, kind of a thing. It turned out better than I thought maybe that it would. And and so we're gonna talk about this but in a little bit different way. This isn't necessarily how to make good decisions, because we know how you make decisions, right? I mean we, we know what we do when we make decisions, we flip a coin decide which way, you know, I mean, is it heads or is it tails? Or or, or, or maybe we weigh the pros and the cons, you know, we, we write down all the things that might be good, we write down all the things that were bad, that might be bad, and if we, you know, if we weigh it, then we're going to try to figure out, is this, a, should I go this way, or should I go that way? Which really what, is what a decision is. A decision is is really a way that determines the direction that you're going to walk. A decision is a, is a, is a it is a statement almost of of. Where you are going to walk. Listen to this scripture. Actually, this is another way that people decide what they're going to do. They just go around asking all kinds of people what they should do until, they, until somebody tells them what they really want to do anyway. Until somebody just confirms, yeah, that's exactly what I thought too. I'm going to go do that. I want to read this scripture to you this morning. In the book of Jeremiah. And uh, in the book of Jeremiah chapter 6, it says this, if I can find it. Jeremiah 6.16 uh, says, this is what the Lord says. All right, so this is not me. This is, this is the Lord. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And then here's the promise. You will find rest for your souls. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and Look. Stand at the crossroads and look. And, and, and really, in a sense, that's what a decision is. But, but I want to kind of illustrate something for you because I, I think that we sometimes just sort of miss the nuance of it. But once you sort of hear it, then you're, you're, you're going to come be like, aha, yeah, I, I see that. And so imagine yourself at an intersection. You're at an intersection. Uh, here, here in St. Cloud, we have one where we live. And I often tell people when they leave our house, never assume that it is safe to go just because the light is green. Because there are always people that their time is more important than anybody else's, and they're blowing through the light all the... I mean, at least three times a year, there's an accident at our intersection. And it's kind of hidden a little bit. But but when he says that we are supposed to stand at the crossroads and look... How many of you know that... way I did one of the, I won't even tell you because I don't have time, but it's a hilariously stupid story. But anyway, at our intersection, if, if, if you were to... St- to to stand and to look, and you're looking straight ahead, you would see, obviously, what's straight ahead. But when he says to turn and look, turning and looking is a very simple action. It's almost a pivot. You just do this. But when you turn and look, you get a totally different perspective. I now see the mall crew over here, the mall-legged crew. They're all right over here. One of them is excited. If I pivot just a little bit and I turn, I see Jay, Jay Shields right back there. But you know what happens? If I pivot this way, I see a whole bunch of people that I'm sorry that I, I see the Solstrom crew. Man, all right, I see the Notches. I don't see Jay anymore, I don't see the malls anymore. Because my perspective has changed. And so when he says that we come to the intersection and we should look, and then he says ask, and that's an important thing, we're going to ask the Lord. But we're searching out the ancient paths, we're searching out the right way. And so when it comes to decisions, a couple of things that that I think that we understand, maybe, maybe haven't really put words to it or put thought to it. How many of you know, first of all, there's big decisions in life? The big decisions might be, am I going to marry somebody? Who am I going to marry? Am I going to have children? A big decision might be, what am I going to do for a career? How am I going to use that time of my life? Big decisions are are along that line. I mean, what's the career path that I'm going to have? What am I going to, you know, how am I going to invest and prepare for retirement? All of those things are very, very important decisions, Many of you have made those decisions. Some of you maybe didn't make great decisions. I know that I wish I would have understood some things about finances and financial stuff when I was younger. I didn't. Now that I'm older, I wish. <laughs> I wish I'd have pivoted and looked. I wish I would have looked a little bit more, but I didn't. And so, so we all have regrets, and that's an important consideration as well. So we have big decisions, but we also have small decisions, a small decision, and inconsequential, well, it might be consequential, but, but a small decision is like, am I going to go to Taco Bell or am I, I going to go to Culver's? Am I going to get number two or am I going to get number four? That's a small decision. We understand it. But then there's another decision, and that's really one of the things that, that I want to sort of bring out this morning. Another decision is is a decision that's kind of a pivotal decision. It's an important decision, but the problem is it doesn't look like it's an important decision at the time that you're making it. Let me give you an illustration. Some of you have heard this story. I think I was in ninth grade at Tech High School here in St. Cloud, which would have been in about 1972 or 1973, something like that. I, was a fr- I believe I was a freshman. And they introduced something to us that said you could pick out classes for next year, electives. And I was like, you mean I don't? show up and you give me a piece of paper and tell me what class and what room I have to make a decision about what classes I'm going to take. And it's like, that's really cool. And so some of the kids that were really smart, you know, these kids, they, they were like, you know, calculus and geometry and all these other things. And I saw cooking and I thought, that's a, I'm going to, I'm going to take the cooking class. Didn't know. I didn't know if I could. First of all, I asked, can I take the cooking class? Because it was only girls in there. So I got in the cooking class, and I realized something awesome. When I was in the cooking class, I got to make chocolate chip cookies and eat them. I made a baked Alaska, and I ate it. It was awesome. So I'm taking this class again if I can. So I took advanced cooking. And then I took whatever else cooking class. I kept taking cooking classes the whole time. This is a, this is a small decision. Just I'm taking a class. It's an easy class. I get to eat what I make. I had a friend ask me, why are you taking all these cooking classes? There's only girls in the cooking class. And it occurred to me, I was like, yes, you're right. And you get to eat what you make. And he looked at me like, you're either crazy or brilliant. I can't figure it out. (laughs) My senior year, I had taken enough cooking classes. I was a student instructor in a cooking class. So I I helped the teacher and I got to eat then. I got to eat what everybody else made, test it and all that other stuff, which was even better but as a result of that decision, seemingly small, seemingly inconsequential, I met the person that I married. Shelly was in my class in my senior year. She had to bring me her chocolate chip cookies. She had to bring me the goulash. The last time she ever brought me. No, I said, <laughs> she always says, I never learned how to cook because I was too busy flirting. Now, there's other things behind the scenes. When I was in eighth grade going into ninth grade, I was praying a lot, and and one of the things that I was praying, because because I heard somebody say this, and it was a good idea, at least I thought it was a good idea, (laughs) pray for your future spouse. I thought, man, I don't want to leave that to chance. So I started praying, and, and I remember I had this thought, this idea that I want to marry somebody who has long, dark hair, kind of petite. I saw Shelly in 10th grade, and I was like, that's what I'm talking about. Now, senior, year, we, never, we had one class together until senior year. Then we had the cooking class. I changed my whole schedule at the second semester so that I could have more classes with her. Ended up dating for a short time. We broke up. Then we got back together again and we've been walking together ever since. A big decision started with a very small decision. A big decision started with a very small decision. And so when it comes to decisions, many times pivotal things are not always the big things. Pivotal things are not always big things. Sometimes pivotal things are small things. But here's the problem. We don't know that these small things, we don't know if they're big decisions or small decisions. We don't know what they're going to lead to, which is why we need God in our life. Because if we don't have God, we're not smart enough to know the difference between what is, what is just going to a cooking class and maybe meeting the person you're going to spend the rest of your life with. And so we need God and we need the Holy Spirit in our life. But in that text that we read in the book of Jeremiah, when he said, stand at the intersection and look, and when we pivot and we see a different perspective, and then we pivot and we see a different perspective, we are to seek out the old path, we're to seek out the ancient ways, the ways of God. And then he says something very, very important, four-letter word called walk. Everybody say Walk. Here's what a decision will do in your life. A decision will create momentum in your life. When you make a decision and you begin to walk out that decision, it isn't just static. You don't just decide and then don't do. Well, sometimes you do decide and don't do anything. We call that a diet. Call that exercise. (laughs) But you begin to walk in the decision. The decision will create momentum in your life. Now, here's the thing about the momentum that it creates and the the, the walks, the steps that you walk. If you're standing at the intersection, and most of you know this, you've had this experience, and you maybe pivot and you begin to walk it out, and the momentum of your life, uh, we've said this over the years, that your direction will determine your destination, the direction that you walk, the direction that you live, your direction will determine your destination far more than your desire, far more than your good intentions, far more than anything else. And we understand this when we're traveling, but we don't understand it. We, we live with a disconnect when it comes to our walk with God. And so some of you have started out and you've, you've started walking and you found out that there was trouble there. Anybody ever gotten in trouble because of a decision? Which is why your mom told you, make good decisions. Make good decisions. You know why your mom tells you make good decisions? Because she made bad decisions. (laughs) She doesn't want you to hurt, she doesn't want you to go through that same pain. And God doesn't want you to go through that pain either. He wants our walk to be close to him. And so as we talk about decisions, and particularly these seemingly small decisions that make a great big impact in our life, let me just give you one more point. God is bigger than your bad decisions. God is bigger than your bad decisions. Even if you're living in the result or consequence of the decision that was a bad one, that you made God's still bigger. How many of you are glad? I made a lot of mistakes. I made, I, I made a lot of bad decisions. I, there were a lot of things that I started out, and I never intended, when I was a youth pastor, I used to teach this, I used to say this, I, I would call it the sin of it's not so bad. The sin of it's not so bad. And I was convinced, that it was really the enemy like, well, that's not so bad. And it started with hanging out with some kids that didn't go to church, hanging out with some kids that were smoking pot. Well, that's not that bad. I and mean, they're neighbors, they're decent people. I started hanging around with them, but I'm never going to smoke pot. I'm never going to drink beer. I'm never going to do those things. But it's not so bad. And the more I hung around with them, I found out that one little step Created momentum in my life that eventually, over the course of about a year to a year and a half, I was smoking pot, I was going to parties, I was doing all kinds of things, bringing pot to school. All kinds of stuff that I would have never, ever done in my life a year or a year and a half ago. But it was all because I made a decision and the sin of it's not so bad. But but what I want you to understand is that God is bigger than your bad decisions. God is bigger than the things that, that are holding you back even right now. He's bigger. It's a decision that you need to make about God and it is a it is when we pivot away from the problem and pivot towards God when we're standing at that intersection of life and so here's my quote for the day don't use today's wisdom as a weapon to beat yourself up because of yesterday's decisions don't use what you know right now, the pain that you have right now, the, the regret that you have right now. Don't use it as a weapon to beat yourself up because you made a de- bad decision before. God's bigger than the bad decisions of your life. And so let's look at Luke chapter 5, verse 11. And I'm going to whip through this really, really slowly. <laughs> Again, Jeremiah 6 says that we should stand in the crossroads, that we should look. We should seek out, find out where the good way is. So Luke 5, 11, it says this. So they pulled their boats up on shore, they left everything and they followed him speaking of Jesus. So this is James, Peter and John. They they left everything on the shore and they began to follow Jesus. And so I want to just very quickly, the very best decision I know that you're all in church and go, "Oh yeah, right." The very best decision that you can ever make is to be a follower of Jesus. That is the best decision of your life. I'm hoping that I can convince the rest of you. Actually, this is just so normal. This is so Christianity 1. Actually, it's not even Christianity 101. It's like Christianity 1. It's just foundational. The very best, and I think most of you aren't really convinced about this, but the very best decision that you could ever make in your life is to be a follower of Jesus. And notice what it says in verse 11. They pulled up their boats on shore. They left everything and they followed him. A lot of us do that. We pull our boat up on shore and we leave stuff. We leave our past. We leave our regrets. We leave the stuff that hurts. We leave the stuff that confuses us. We leave all of those things. But there's still some things we kind of want to hang on to. There's some things we don't want to leave anywhere because we like them. Yeah, Jesus, I want you to take my pain and my hurt, but Jesus, I kind of want to hang on to this pride. I want to hang on to this jealousy. I want to hang on to this unforgiveness. But the very best decision that you can ever make is to be a a follower of Jesus. And so what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What, What does that decision do in our life? Well, to understand what led up, because really, when you think about this, Probably the dumbest decision that these disciples could have made, remember, Peter is not Peter yet. Peter is sinner Peter. Peter is Simon. He's not a believer. He's just a guy that got done fishing, washing his nets. And, and, and the picture that we're given, at least in this verse, is that Jesus walks up to him and says, hey, follow me. And they left everything. Now, that's a dumb decision. Without understanding the backstory, it's a dumb decision to leave your boat, your nets, leave everything, leave your livelihood. We will we'll see that there was just a great big catch of fish. They left their fish for the day. At least we don't know exactly what happened to those fish that maybe rotted in the boat. Maybe somebody stole them. Maybe they went and sold them. We don't know exactly what happened to the fish, but they had a, gr- a whole bunch of fish, and they left everything to follow Jesus. How did they get there? How did they get to that point? Verse 1 says... One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge, that's Jesus, Jesus saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore, and then he sat down and he taught people from the boat. Peter was Simon, who is, again, Peter, Peter was the very first sound man, the first sound technician that we have mentioned in the Bible. The reason that Jesus got in the boat and he went out on the water is because voices carry over the water. So Toby and everybody else who works in the sound booth, thank you. You're following in in Peter's footsteps. Be careful where you step. It says he sat down and he taught the people, verse 4, when he had finished speaking several hours later, no, I just added that, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, remember Simon's still a sinner, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, you know, Jesus, you're a good carpenter, Jesus, you're probably a pretty good preacher, teacher, I kind of like what you had to say, but he said, master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught a thing. We haven't caught anything. And Jesus, uh, you're a good preacher and I know that you're a carpenter. I can tell kind of by the way you carry yourself and by the tools that are over there, maybe uh, I can tell that you're a carpenter and I don't show up and tell you how to pound nails. Don't you be telling me how to catch fish. Those are all things that could have been going through sinner Peter's mind at the time. Verse five again says, Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything, but because you say so, so important church, because you say so, How many times are we faced in life with the decision to go between what we want and what God wants? What we want and what his word says? Often. You see, we're standing at the intersection at times of what we want and what God says. To be a follower of Jesus, you have to make the determination that you're going to walk in the way of God. That God says, because that's where the peace is. That's where the joy is. That's where the life is. That's where the strength is. That's where the blessing is. He says, I will, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish. This is for a sinner. This is for somebody who had no relationship with God. And God blessed him. I said, God blessed him. Because there's a principle, when you give, when you bless, you are going to get blessed back. It is a principle that will work for you and it will work against you. It's the law of sowing and the law of reaping. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And when they came and they filled the boat, they came and filled the boats so full that they began to sink. Pastor Tim, remember that time you and I were fishing, we caught so many fish, the boat sank? No, don't. (laughs) when Simon Peter saw this he fell at his knees catch this and he said go away from me Lord I'm a sinful man for he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken and so were James and John the sons of Zebedee Simon's partners and then Jesus said to Simon do not be afraid from now on you will fish for people so they pulled up their boats on shore and they left everything and they followed him and, 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 and Scripture records all that happened to Peter, to the disciples, as they took those steps to follow him. They had no idea what was going to happen. They had no idea what they were going to suffer. They had no idea what they were going to enjoy. They had no idea what life was going to bring. But they recognized something in Jesus. And I think that when Peter said this, whatever you say, I'm going to do it, as they began to walk... They began to see powerful and wonderful things happen. And, and, and I think that a lot of us, you know, if I were to ask you, how many of you want to see God do great things in your life? You'd say, yes, amen. If I said, how many of you want to see God work through your life? Yes, amen. How many of you want to see God work through you so that you reach your, your, your family or, or, or loved ones or people that you're working with? See God do miracles and, and wonderful. We want the deep things, the big things of God. I want you to read with me again Luke chapter 5 and verse 2. He saw at the water's edge, this is Jesus. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from shore. You see, Jesus never asked Peter to leave everything. Jesus didn't ask Peter to, he didn't initially ask for him to say, I want you to get rid of everything. I want you to to leave all that stuff behind. That's not where Jesus started with Peter. Peter said, I just want you to do, or Jesus just said, Peter, I want you to do a little thing. In fact, something that seems so small and so insignificant, but how many of you know in Mark chapter 4, God likes to use small things, insignificant things, to confound the wise and the mighty. Mark 4 says he uses a little seed to grow something that is great and big and powerful. And so he says to Peter, I want you to push out just a little. Before Peter ever left everything, he did a little thing. Peter had no idea what was about to happen, but this became a pivotal moment in his life when he pivoted to what Jesus said, and he said, all right, I'm going to do what you say to do, and he put out a little bit, and then he let down his net, and he caught a whole bunch of stuff. It is the small things in life. It's the little things that we do that set direction, that set our course, and, and, and I think that sometimes, as the Scripture says, don't be weary In well doing, for in due season you will reap if you if you don't quit. There will be a harvest if you don't quit. But before Peter left everything, he did a small thing. He pushed out just a little bit. So let me ask you a quick question. What's the little bit that you've been putting off? What's the little bit that you thought, yeah, it's not that important? You see people don't start, they they don't wake up one day and and decide, I'm going to ruin my life. I'm going to wake up one day and do the stupidest stupidest thing that I could ever do. It's a little decision. It's a little step. And what starts out as, 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 as maybe an unkind word five years later is, I hate you. It's because of those small little steps. Peter pushed out a little. You know, A lot of us, you know, there's a song that we used to sing way back. I have, I can't, we have music playing, I can't sing it. I have decided to follow Jesus. How many of you know that? I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. And we used to get tears in our eyes. That's right, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to do everything. I remember coming to the altar and crying my eyeballs out. God, I want to serve you. And God, I want to do what you want me to do kind of like Peter, because Jesus had said to Peter right at the cross, he said, you're going to deny me, and Peter's like, ain't no way, baby, I am not going to deny you, I'm going to stand with you, though none go with me, still I will follow, and Jesus said, yeah, right, until the rooster crows, until the rooster crows, and every one of us has a rooster, Every one of us like, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'm going to do what you want me to do, Jesus. And then it's, it's like, then our pride rises up. I'm not going to forgive them because do you know what they said about me? Well, I know that I should pray, but I'm just not going to. I'm not feeling it today. Well, that's not faith. Before Peter did a little thing, or before he left everything, he did a little thing what does it mean to be you see there's a difference between an event and a decision a couple of months ago probably about a year ago we did a series on unforgiveness talking a little bit about offenses you can be offended that is an event that will happen in your life you will get offended Jesus said we'll all get offended be careful offenses are going to come don't take the bait don't step into the trap of offense offense to be offended whether it's legitimate or not and, and people can legitimately be offended where somebody says something unkind somebody, th- somebody does something unkind that is an event that happened but to be offended it is a decision that you make it's a decision to take that offense upon yourself and say you know what you did me wrong and until you pay the price uh, that I've determined I'm not going to forgive I'm not going to let go similarly similarly We say it's a decision to follow Jesus, but it's not necessarily a decision to follow Jesus. It is a decision to say, Jesus, I want you to forgive my sin. I want you to come into my life. We talk about the new birth, and God does something on the inside. But following Jesus, the new birth is an event that will happen in your life, but following Jesus is a decision that you make every day following Jesus is, is a decision that you make with your time it is, it is a decision that you make with your, with your abilities and your talents it's a decision that you make with your treasury it is a de- decision that you make with the, the gifts that God has put on the inside of you following Jesus is a daily decision to surrender yourself to his will, to his way and to his word it's a daily decision one more thing and then I, I gotta finish I apologize you know in verse verse. Again, he saw at the water's edge, two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats. Remember, decisions create momentum. Decisions create direction that will carry you. Decisions will also affect other people. The decisions that you make as parents, as as moms and dads, those decisions will affect not just you. They will affect your children. That's why I love the scripture in Psalm 145. One generation will praise his works to the next. Your children are going to watch how you respond to God, how you respond to his word. Your children are going to live the example that they see that you yourself live in front of them. So he goes, he says he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and then he asked him to put out a little bit from shore. Jesus made a decision. Now, we know that Jesus knows everything, but Jesus made a decision to get into not just any random boat. This is a fishing village. There's a lot of boats that were pulled up on the shore, but he made a decision to get into Peter's boat. You see, while we acknowledge, while we respond to Jesus, Jesus is always offering himself to us. Jesus is always wanting to step into our boat. He's always wanted to step into our brokenness, into our dirtiness, into our mess. He wants to step into that and he wants to help us. It, is his, it was his decision to obey the heavenly father that brought him to Calvary's cross. And so the momentum of the decision is with the person who decides. And so when Jesus made the decision to step into Peter's boat, there was a responsibility and a momentum that happened because of what Jesus did. And when Jesus, when you acknowledge Jesus, but when he steps into your life, he decided on you long before you ever decided on him. Let me say that again. Jesus decided on you long before you ever decided on him. If you think that I just that I made the decision to accept Jesus as my Savior, you're going to carry a burden that you can't carry. You can't manage it because it's too big. It's too big for you. Jesus made the decision to step into your life and to step into my life, to get into our boat, to get into our brokenness. Listen to the scripture in 2 Timothy, and then I promise I will be done after I pray and talk a little more. <laughs> 2 Timothy 1.9. who has saved us, this is talking about God through Jesus, who has saved us and called us, not just them, but us, all of us, with a holy calling, not according to our works, he chose you not because you're so smart. He chose you not because you're perfect. He chose you not because of all those other things. He chose you according, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and his grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Jesus didn't choose you because of you. Jesus chose you because of him. Because he had a purpose. He had a plan. And he had a reason. And he gifted and put something on the inside of you. So that when you responded to him. And to truly be a follower of Jesus. It isn't to sit on blessed assurances and say. I'm going to go to heaven one day after I die. Yes that may be true. But you should be walking every single day of your life. You are stepping in, in, in his direction. And it is creating momentum that will carry you to the fulfillment <clears throat> excuse me, of his plan and his purpose that he had noticed that before time began. Before you ever had a chance to mess things up, God's purpose, God's purpose is still beating on the inside of you. <clears throat> and I think that it's interesting to me, at least interesting to me, that in Scripture, this is where we lose people right away. It's in the walking it out because in Scripture... Often, the very first thing that a follower of Jesus did was get baptized. First thing. Well, Pastor Brian, I, you know, I, I don't, I, I, I <laughs> and we're going to trust Jesus with our eternity. We're going to trust Jesus with everything, but we're not going to follow what He says when he, when He says, "He that believeth that is baptized will be saved." And it's the pattern of the early. Well, I was baptized as an infant. And I always will say, "Do you remember that baptism?" Was that your decision? Because every baptism that we see in the New Testament was a baptism of faith. Faith. It was a baptism that started <clears throat> because of acknowledging the Lordship of Christ. And it was, it was a ceremonial thing that they stepped out and said, I'm leaving one thing and I'm entering into something else. It's a step that every single, I believe every single believer should take. One of the first, actually, that was the public profession of faith. It wasn't heads about, eyes closed, nobody looking around. Christians are praying. If you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, get born again, raise your hand. That wasn't the public profession. The public profession was when you got baptized in water. Pastor Brian, why are you talking about baptism? Because we're going to do it in a couple of weeks. Love to have about 50 people get baptized. There's at least that, if not more, that need to be baptized. One of the first steps of followership, event decision. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you today, and Father, I thank you for the decision that we have to follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But I thank you for the event of Calvary. I thank you for the event of faith that we have in our heart that responds to you. And so, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you want to take that very first step of surrendering to Jesus, He's already reached out to you. You're responding to Him. If you'd say, Pastor, would you please pray for me? I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Would you just hold your hand up real high just for a moment? Yes, sir. Thank you. Anyone else? Just kind of hold it up there. Yes, thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Anyone else this morning? Praise God. Hallelujah. You can put those hands down. Would you pray this prayer with me? Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, I believe, Jesus, you died for me. I believe that you're alive. And so I surrender today. I give my life to you. I thank you that as I call you Lord and Savior, you forgive my sin, you cancel my debt, and you give me a new life. So I thank you for your goodness, and I receive today a new life in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for these that have prayed this prayer, whether in this building or online. I thank you that as they have prayed this prayer, that you're doing a miracle on the inside of them. That, Father, you're taking out the old and you're putting something brand new on the inside of them and that this decision is one that will create momentum. It is a small thing, a small step, but it will lead to many other steps as they follow you that will bring them to the purpose that you have for them. And I thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen.